Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to episode four of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. There's a lot to discuss today following the very good win away at Wolves on Sunday. We'll also be reflecting on the defeat against Passos de Ferreira in the Europa Conference League. We'll be looking ahead to the second leg tie at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Then we'll also be discussing transfers with just over a week until Fabio Paratici and Spurs have to finalise any remaining deals. As ever, I will be joined by Alistair Gold, who's with me now to uh, discuss all things Tottenham. Ali, first of all, how have, how are you? I mean, it's been a bit of a hectic week for you. Yeah, yeah. Two different countries, Portugal and England. I don't, I don't think you can clarify, um, classify Wolverhampton as a separate country of its own, but it's certainly a very uh, interesting place to go. I do like Molyneux. So it's a, a nice stadium. It is cool. It's, it feels like a bit of an old school one, even though I don't actually know if it's that old, is it? But it's... Uh, it's had a lot of recent work done, I think, but that's um, no, cool. Uh, and the fans are excellent. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the banter between the fans, I think, when we probably have a little chat about Harry Kane. But uh, yeah, it's good. You know, you and I both love matches. That's the key thing, isn't it? It's. I know a lot of people love the transfers. They love all of that. But I think for us, probably in our job, just getting, getting to football matches and getting to watch little moments like Stephen Bergvine's wonderful bit of skill that we'll, we'll talk about as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure the last week. Well, I say it's been a pleasure. <laughs> the match in Portugal itself wasn't a pleasure, but the rest of the week's been uh, pretty good. Yeah, Molyneux's definitely. It's a proper football ground. They really, really good atmosphere there yesterday, especially before the game when they were singing Hi Ho Wolverhampton. I think everyone was certainly up for it after 16 months or so away. Uh, but the Wolves fans... Uh, Went home without the points in the end as uh, Deli Ali's penalty was enough to seal uh, the win for Tottenham. Two wins on the bounce, two clean sheets. Uh, things are looking good in terms of the Premier League table, aren't they? Yeah. I joked to you earlier, didn't I? When we had saw that it was 16 positive COVID tests, um, it was like, let's end the league now. Spurs are in fourth place. <laughs> Um, Spurs fans will probably be quite happy that Arsenal, I think, was second from bottom as well right now as well. So they'd be relegated. Um, but let's be honest, we don't want the season to finish after two games. I, I, I was, you know, had a, had a few Spurs fans on the train with me yesterday on the way back from Wolverhampton. Um, three or four, maybe about five of them sat around the table as I was trying to work on the train back, which wasn't great in terms of my work, but they were very nice guys. And we had a good chat about a lot of things Tottenham related. Um, and I think there's a, there's a general vibe among, well, certainly certainly them. I can't judge that they're all of the Tottenham fan base, but just this starting, this kind of inkling starting to come along that you know maybe Spurs could do something this season. I'm not saying you know going to win the league, anything like that, but just I think everyone went into this season so kind of just not looking forward to it and expecting the worst. Um, and I think Espirito Santo's come in and. He's well, I've said exactly what some of the lads said on the train yesterday. They feel that the, it feels a little bit potch like. There's a little bit of everyone seems to be coming together again. And that's not only the players and the staff off, you know, it, it, behind the scenes, but also I think the fans are starting to come together again. Um, and we saw that at Molyneux. The fans, the away fans are brilliant. I always. I always say, and this is no disrespect to the people that come to, you know, Tottenham week in, week out, but I've always felt that the away fans, 
you know, the effort they have to put in. And I know not everyone can do that. It's, it's a hell of a commitment. But I think if you're going to put in that commitment, you pretty much are a diehard Tottenham fan. And, you know, and I think if they feel that they're starting to get that connection back with the club, I think that's a good sign. It's very early days. It really is. But that's what we wanted. We wanted to move back in the right direction again. Yeah, it was a, it was a good win. It was a hard-fought win. Spurs had to, you know grind out the points and they managed to do that because that uh, Deli Alley penalty after nine minutes Wolves were pretty much on top after that I think it was 58% possession had 25 shots uh, on goal overall but there was never anything what really tested Hugo Lloris except for that chance for Adama Traore at the end yeah. I know Fans probably have a perception of how they want football to be played they probably want football that's easy on the eye you know Spurs did that at times last season in the big wins over Burnley and Palace but it's not always the case when you go to places like Molyneux Turf Moor you do have to you know as I said just grind out the win and some managers take probably more satisfaction in that than you know if you're playing well and uh, you know just getting a comfortable 2-0 win or whatever so I think Definitely a, a different performance to the one against Man City uh, the previous Sunday. But I think that it's one what's going to help Spurs out uh, massively. Uh, obviously, defence had plenty to do over the course of the game. I mean, Javet Tanganga had the real uh, handful in Adama Traore down his wing and he got twisted and turned inside out a few times in the first half. But... Recovered well after that. I thought De Vincent Sanchez had another another good game. Eric Dyer as well. But at the end of the day, it's three points. And it doesn't matter how you get the three points. You don't get an extra point for playing well. And, you know, come the end of the season, people don't look at the Premier League table and go, oh, we finished fourth, but we didn't we didn't play well at Wolves that day, but we won. End of the day, get three points on the board. Tottenham sitting pretty towards the top six points from a possible six. Uh, I think it was uh, a good one. And, you know, fingers crossed Spurs will be able to kick on from there. I mean, what did you make it? What I was going to say to you, did you feel there was a little element of Mourinho kind of style? A little bit? I wouldn't wouldn't say like completely. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it was a completely Mourinho performance. I didn't think it was, but did you see elements of what maybe... You know, a lot of people just want to completely write off the Mourinho era. But did you see maybe some of the good stuff that he put in was kind of underpinned it slightly? Yeah, I think so. I think having watched it, it was like, it was very similar to the game at Molyneux last season in terms of Mm. getting that early goal and then having to withstand all that intense pressure from Wolves. Uh, But back in December, Wolves scored in like the 87th minute. But this time Spurs... uh, stood firm at the back, you managed to see it out. But yeah, uh, very similar, maybe, in terms of a Mourinho team. But I think Spurs look certainly a bit stronger in midfield. I think adding Oliver Skip there has given more of a defensive shield. You've got two more defensive players there now. And I know we've said, like, Vincent Sanchez has played really well these past two games. You know, Dyer's done well as well. I think that probably helps in the fact that there is two defensive players now in front of them. I think that makes the job a bit easier. So, yeah, I'd say similar in terms of a, a Mourinho one, given that they had to sit back at times and then try hit them on the counter. But, uh, yeah, 
thankfully it was three points rather than one. Yeah, and, and what I'd say as well, I think I'm trying to, unless I'm completely misremembering it, but I can't remember a match at Molyneux where Wolves haven't been like that, have been quite dominant, and the crowd, obviously the crowd weren't there for the last one or two. I'm trying to remember if this, or did we squeeze in one at Molyneux just before? I think we did. I think that was yeah. the December 2019 when Jan scored in the last yes. minute. So that was like a couple of months before we went well, into lockdown. Well, there's a snatch and grab in itself, that game yeah. as well. It's like, I don't think it's ever not been like that, whether it's Poch, whether it's Mourinho, whether it's now, you know, Spirito Santo. I, I don't think there's been, I think that's what they do. I think Wolves do dominate position. They've got a lot of talented technical players. They come at them, the crowd whip them up as well. You know, we saw, um, was it Bruno Large, the, um, Manager of Wolves, absolutely kept doing this. He kept putting his hands up in the air, trying to get the crowd going the whole time. And I think for anyone to kind of take that in isolation and say, oh, there you go, it's just like Mourinho football, and I think that's really was quite unfair. And I'd actually go as far to say the best chances on the day, I'd say, fell to Spurs. The Triore won aside, Spurs on another day, maybe could have won that game three or four nil, which is such a weird way. But, you know, you think of the Kane chance, Bergvine had a low shot save, Son had a shot blocked, or shot slash cross, um, Dyer header that was saved late on by the keeper as well. Spurs, yeah, I think had the better chances. And, you know, all this about Wolves had 25 shots, yeah, you know, I could have a shot from the halfway line as well. <laughs> it's like, but I don't want to, that, that's not meant to be a, a disservice to Wolves. I did think a lot of their build up play was very good, and we're, we're going to speak about a certain winger they have. Um, but I think their play is often typified by this, you know, this really good build up play, really good possession play, but then just something in the final third isn't there. Um, and I thought, I, I wouldn't say other than, Adam Atorore, that we are going to talk in a bit more depth about. I wouldn't say anyone really bothered Tottenham hugely. Sometimes the um, oh, the Barcelona lad, is it Trincao? Probably yes. the pronunciation. Trin- Trincao. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I always felt that Tottenham going in the other direction were, were more dangerous. And Stephen Bergwijn, who honestly... I could I could praise forever. I know there's more to come from his game, and I know he still frustrates some players, but I feel that we're two games in now, and having had a good preseason as well, I just think he's doing so much for Tottenham. Honestly, that moment aside, which if you haven't seen it, please watch Steven Bergwijn getting down the touchline and beating two players, because I guarantee you'll watch it about seven times trying to work out exactly how he did it. It's so fast. It's like a it's not quite the flip-flap thing that Ronaldinho used to do. It's like, I don't know, he seems to knock it with the outside of his foot and run round, but it doesn't look like that. It's, it's incredible kind of footwork. Um, and I just thought he was so good again. One minute he was in his own box clearing a ball, the next minute he's at the other end. Um, his fitness is incredible. You know, I, I think I said this in one of our first podcasts, that the two players who have impressed them the most in terms of their fitness have been Bergvine and Ali. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you're now seeing those two players are the ones who in the, like, the latter moments of games are absolutely still box-to-box in it. Um, but yeah, Stephen Bergwijn, I could go on for ages about him. We all just know he needs a goal. That's it. I think if he gets that Premier League goal, I think honestly, this is why it slightly annoys me that Spurs have been linked with other wingers who we'll come on to in a minute. Because I think Stephen Bergwijn has the potential. has got a much higher ceiling 
than a lot of players are actually being linked with. Yeah, I think I think the goals come in. Fingers crossed it'll be against Watford this weekend. But I mean, he had there following that good play down the left wing where he burst through, uh, obviously had the chance. And then there was the one before where he cut inside, had the shot, which then led to uh, Sonny having a couple of shots on goal. But yeah. you touched on it as well. I think there was Spurs had a corner. Wolves managed to clear it. And then we, within a few seconds, Bergwijn was back in his own box, you know, defending. Uh, Bergwijn did. Ali did it yesterday, that terrific block to uh, block from Trinkau's volley. Just, but, but do you see in that block itself, it was Skip and Ali, wasn't it? Both yeah. flying in. And I just, I think that's one of the biggest indications that Tottenham's spirit and fighting for each other's back. You know, I just felt there were times last season, and I think we saw it right towards the end of the uh, Poch era as well, where they'd kind of, it was a bit like, mm, oh, go on then, just have a shot. Whereas now they are throwing themselves at stuff again for each other. And, uh, and I love that. that. That's what football's all about. Yeah, they were definitely putting the bodies on the line. And I think both Skip and Dally played really well yesterday. And there was a certain Gareth Southgate in attendance at Molyneux. Uh, I think he'd have uh, been impressed by the two of them. Obviously, there's England games coming up in September. It might be a bit early for them to be called in, but I think they're going in the right direction at the moment. And I think they'll early get better. And I can see Southgate attending a few more Tottenham games over the coming months. Do you think those two could potentially be involved at some point during the season? During the season, perhaps. I'd say they both suffer from the same problem right now is the amount of people in the same position yeah. that they play in. Uh, you know, if I talk about having a Tongi on Dembele membership card that I'm laminating for everyone, <laughs> on a, honestly, Oliver Skip, it's just, uh, it's, it's a huge club that I'm starting to organise for everyone in Europe to uh, appreciate how good young Oliver Skip is going to be. Um, he's... I think the biggest compliment you can pay to him is he's stepped into the team and looks like he's always played in it. It yeah. just honestly, he looks so ready for it. Um, not least, you know, playing Man City in your first week, and but then Wolves with the pressure that came from that away from home. You know, he doesn't pick up. I mean, I was about to say he doesn't pick up silly yellow card. The yellow card he got at Molyneux was the most ridiculous yellow card I've ever seen. You know, it was Adam Atrore, which... You know, even Mike Tyson would have a problem trying to uh, launch into a tackle and stop him. Skip managed to do it, use really impressive strength, hook the ball away, and it was going to yell not only a free kick, but a yellow card. It was just like, what are you watching? But no, Skip was superb. Um, Deli Alley was man of the match for me. I thought he's been, you know, we've spoken about his new role and how I feel he's just getting better and better with each passing match. And I just feel this was the culmination. He was still doing those runs that we love into the box. And, and you know, and I don't think people have appreciated Sergio Reguilon's pass to him either. It was a fantastically weighted pass. You know, it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar because I think it led to a penalty. So it wasn't an assist, you know. Um, but I thought Ali... I think the, the big thing for him, this is a huge season for him, but, you know, he's 25. He's not a kid anymore. He's been at Spurs for six years now since he actually kind of came across after the loan. I think it's now that time where he has to be stepping up and taking a bit of responsibility and essentially becoming a bit of a leader, which we would never have kind of associated with Deli Ali. And I just felt at times yesterday, 
he was leading the charge, whether it was at the back, whether it was going up the pitch. Um, he was, it was very much a do what I do performance. Um, and I, I was so impressed with him. He's, he's, his tackling is way, way advanced of where it was. Espirito Santo clearly has just, he's just spoken to him and just said, look, you know, you've got these strengths. Let's work to them. And I also believe that you've got these other strengths you don't even know about. And it's the defensive side of his game. Um, early early, honestly. Um, whether it's the hair, whether it's a bit like Samson and his hair has given him strength, I don't know. But yeah, he's he's he's, he's very very. You know, I've I've said in recent weeks how I feel like the Celso could be a slightly better fit, or obviously on Dembele eventually, if you know he ever wakes up. Um, but I, I just think Ali's doing a terrific job. I wouldn't I wouldn't take him out of that team. But the problem is. As England don't really play with this four three uh, four three three, it's like where does he fit and what kind of role does he then have uh, in an England setup? I personally, and I know this isn't what players ever want to hear, but I'd want them just to forget about England for now, just concentrate on what they're both doing for Tottenham, Skip and Ali. Because same with Tanganga, you know, if Tanganga keeps going down this road, he'll be talked about for England as well. Always when they're England under twenty one internationals, there's always a bit more of a direct path because. Southgate will be getting reports from them, you know, all of the staff beneath him, the under-21s as well. Um, but I just think they just need to concentrate on what they're doing. All three of them haven't been Tottenham first-team players for a little while, or regulars anyway. Um, yeah, crack on with that. And then maybe as you get towards the end of the season, then start thinking, have I deserved to get in there? Because, yeah, they're on the right path. That's the key thing. It is. There was uh, one negative to the win yesterday. It appeared that Sonny had a, a bit of an injury. Uh, one of our colleagues, Jonathan Vale, he was obviously at Molyneux with us. He spotted Sonny going in, back inside from the warm-up uh, a few minutes earlier than his teammates, followed by the medical staff. He just looked off colour yesterday. He just wasn't wasn't at his best and obviously I can remember you tweeted out saying Sonny's struggling and then literally like two minutes later he's running through on goal and yeah. you know almost scoring but what was noticeable was he did have a bit of strapping on his left hamstring he did come off 20 minutes from the end and what I noticed as well at full time was Fabio Paratiki had a word with him, Steve Hitchin as well, I think, Nuno. So there's definitely some concern there. And he was walking gingerly. I was Obviously, about like an old man. He was, yeah. yeah. What do you want to just remind people what Nuno said to you? Because obviously you put the question to him after the game. Yeah, well, I said, you know, he, he was walking really gingerly after the game. He's like me trying to get down the stairs at Molyneux, you know. Um, <laughs> it was just he. And I just felt that in the game as well. Like I said, albeit that run, you know, with the block shot, I think it was the one that he claimed for handball when it, it wasn't. Yeah. He just wasn't moving freely. He wasn't confident. He wasn't really jumping for headers. There was something that was restricting him. So, yeah, I just asked Nuno afterwards, you know, exactly what was, why was he walking so gingerly on the pitch? And he was very apologetic. He was like, oh, kind of made out that he wasn't aware that he was doing that on the pitch. But he did admit, yes, he said he had a, I think the expression he used was he had a funny feeling. Uh, during the warm-up, um, and that's why he came off with the medical staff. So, I mean, you'd hope he doesn't need to play on Thursday night so they can give him a full week just to kind of just get over what it was or, or properly look at it. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a funny game from Son. And in a weird way, it was 
of all the games you'd have Kane back on the bench, um, that was the one to have him back on because he kind of replaced Son and he just fitted in seamlessly, really. Um, I just want to very quickly point out, because I know people uh, pick up on it, when we said about Dyer and Sanchez playing very well, and I agree with you, I think they played very well, completely skipping to an earlier subject, we probably do have to note the point that, yes, both of them did make their usual once-a-game gaffe. Um, Sanchez was the the clearance that he just managed to hit his knee rather than his foot, and fortunately it was offside, and I think Jimenez's shot was deflected wide anyway. And then Eric Dyer, which for me was far worse, which was just driving into the uh, Wolves' half. Instead of passing, I think that we had a player either side completely free and then decided, nope, nope, no, I am Jack Grealish. I'm going to now dribble past this player. And it was just, that was what led to the trial ray chance. And uh, yes, both dopey moments. One, un- maybe one perhaps unfortunate with the bounce, but Dyer's no excuse whatsoever. But yeah, overall... I don't even think their worst critics could say that they're not playing well at the moment. Two clean sheets. Um, and as we'll come to on the transfer stuff, it's making it a little bit interesting. <laughs> but we will come to that in a bit. But uh, yeah, Son, hopefully okay. Um, same with Romero. Can chuck that in here as well as we're talking about injuries. You know, I asked Nuno about him as well because um, he didn't travel. You know, he wasn't on the coach to Molyneux. Um, and it turns out, Despite, well, we, you know, I saw him in, uh, in the game uh, against Passos holding his knee, clearly had an injury. Um, Nuno said the next day that it was fine, but then unfortunately, apparently, in a training session, I don't know if he said what day, I think it was maybe later on Friday, um, he just started to feel some discomfort in it. So they thought, well, let's not, let's not take any, you know, unnecessary risk. And then he's uh, obviously stayed at home. And we see he's now been named in the Argentina squad as well. So hopefully that all confirms that it's nothing too much to worry about. Just just a precaution that he wasn't there. Yeah. In terms of the injuries, obviously we mentioned Son and then the player to come on in his place was Harry Kane. Uh, when he got off the coach at Molyneux, uh, I think Bulls fans were jeering him for some reason, yeah. even though he's done so well for England at the Euros. And then uh, there was... A number of chants uh, between both sets of fans. Obviously, Tottenham fans were singing. Obviously, Harry Kane is one of our own. And then it was just like uh, ping pong, wasn't it? It was just going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I think there was there'll be a so mank the in the morning. <laughs> use the clean versions. Uh, you're you're a greedy something, and yes. <laughs> a number of other ones. But you'll be a mank uh, in the morning. There yes, was that one. Yeah, there was. Um, yes, Harry Kane, he wants to beep off. Um, it was brilliant, though, wasn't it? It was, yeah, I, it I, was, I, it was. Know, I felt for Harry Kane slightly, obviously, being the center of attention and having everyone shouting your name, uh, and not in a good way, but for us and, and for the crowd to have that back and forth. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it, it was good. Kane did have a chance when he came on, uh, when Berg, Bergwijn played him through. What was unlucky. I mean, Jose Sal was out pretty quickly to narrow the angle, but, you know, on another day, after a few more games, he might have taken that chance. But, uh, I mean, we're just over a week away now from the transfer window. What does the future hold for him? Are we expecting him to start on uh, Sunday against Watford? I mean, even potentially the Passos game. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I've said this before, but with every day that passes, it just becomes less and less likely. 
You know, I wrote a piece last night um, talking about because the reaction from the Spurs fans was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty positive. Um, they they had his back. I think there's very much a case of, hey, you can't insult him. Only we can do that. And they kind of stood <laughs> up for him, and it, it was quite nice. And and you know, he appreciated it. He went over to them and, and clapped and applauded them at the end of the game, which was you know was reciprocated. They liked that. Um, and you know, even doing his warm up, the Wolves, uh, sorry, the warm down with Harry Winks, the Wolves fans left as they were going out. The exits were jeering him. Wolves fans have just decided we're going to go for Harry Kane today, which is weird when you think about it because I don't know, maybe it's naive. I just kind of think that other clubs, certainly maybe not the top six clubs or whatever, where it's really, really tribal, I guess, or, or if it's a rival club. I always thought you'd see as the England captain who scored the goals, got you to the Euros final as, as a bit of a hero, but they gave him no slack whatsoever. <laughs> they just decided, you know, it was all wrong. It was almost like, you know, there was some disgruntled Spurs fans wearing Wolves shirts. But it was like, yeah, even when I tweeted out um, a video um, of him getting off the bus and the fans like really loudly jeering him, I even had people on Twitter saying, yeah, but how can you be sure that wasn't Spurs fans? It was like, no, no, I was standing amongst them. They were wearing wool shirts. It was like, yeah, but can you be sure? I was like, well, they're not going to be in disguise. You know? <laughs> that's, that's not the kind of thing. That's a bit elaborate. Um, but yeah, in terms of the transfer, I just, I just think Spurs were so burned historically by letting Dimitar Berbatov go right on the final day of the window and bringing in Fraser Campbell, who you know was a young talent at the time, but to bring him in on loan, not ready to be a loan striker or, or to play that role, um, I just think they they learned a huge lesson that day of at least preparing. If you are, you know, I think that's what we saw with Bale. You know, when Bale went, it was very much uh, they signed all those players beforehand in the knowledge that he probably was going to go, and that hasn't happened at Spurs. I, you know, it's not to rule out that they would do something stupid twice, but you'd think that everything that's led to this point is suggesting that at this point he's not going to go. Um, you know, from, from what I understand, the only bid that has been made thus far is City, you know, bidding 75 million with 25 million add-ons. That's what I'm told. Which, let's be honest, what does that buy? One of his legs? That's just that's just so poor. And as as we've said before on this, you know, what must Harry Kane think when that's happening? You know, so I just, I just haven't seen this real desire and passion to bring Harry Kane to Manchester. Um, and I think there has to be a point where he just looks at it and thinks, well, Spurs really want me still. There's probably, I'll be stunned if Spurs aren't saying sign a new deal, even, even with three years left, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just don't feel that there's the, the real want from Man City. You know, I could be completely wrong and we might get into the final week and they slap in a huge bid. But I just wonder, we're now at the stage where Levy and Spurs would, you'd have to look for the most astronomical fee um, to even make up for it. Because even then after that, you know, you look at the likes of Vlajevic, or Vlajevic looks like potentially signing a new contract with Fiorentina. Um, Latora Martinez into Milan, don't want to let him go. How do you replace Harry Kane within what will be, you know, seven days by the time that people listen to this podcast or, or just, just over seven days? I just can't see how you do it. It's impossible. I don't know what you think, but 
How do you replace Harry Kane over a... It's almost impossible over a summer, let alone a week. Yeah, I would got to say that. I think it's just hard to replace him anyway, let alone yeah. within, you know, a week, potentially days until the deadline. I just don't think you can. And I think if, if City wanted him that bad, that they made the move by now, that they paid the money, what would turn Daniel Levy's head if it was big, big money? Uh, but they've not. Obviously, I know having the Euros and the Copper America this summer has made it a bit more difficult for clubs in the transfer market as obviously that's priority for a number of the players. But they've just not done enough to want him and to get him. And I think, for me, I think Grealish is a good player, but they've got a lot of good options on the wings anyway. So surely why would you... You'd probably be better pointing that 100 million towards Kane and then adding uh, more money on top because... yeah. City, apart from Gabriel Jesus, they don't have another out-and-out striker at the moment and that potentially could let them down in the title race because I think Liverpool and Chelsea will be pushing them very close this season and I just think it's too late in the window now. It'd be a huge, huge shock if you know Spurs accepted uh, a bid for him. I just I think the opportunity is probably come and gone but you never know. Final week at transfer window, anything can happen but... I would I'd be, be very, very surprised. Yeah, I'd be stunned if yeah. they don't try. What did you make of Kane's performance yesterday? Because I wrote in my piece, I kind of felt, I felt he tried. I wouldn't say he was absolutely throwing himself around. Of course he wasn't, but I felt he was trying. He, you know, had the yellow card for time wasting, which you don't really do. And and from what I understand, he was also shouting from the dugout before he came on, encouraging his teammates. And you know, I just, I just kind of thought there were enough seeds there. Of, I don't want to say, I suppose it is. It's not burning your bridges, isn't it? In case something doesn't happen, and it just makes me wonder whether he's starting to realise that I might, I might be here for another season. Yeah, I, I thought he did all right when he came on. Obviously, hmm. twenty minutes is not a lot of time to really make an impact because it'll take you a good ten minutes or so just to get up to the speed of the game. Uh, I mean, he he had that chance, as I said earlier. And if it was a couple of games in to the season, he might have taken it. Obviously, everyone's going to be a bit rusty at the moment. Uh, but I thought, all in all, I thought, you know, he did well to put in a put in a shift, help get Spurs over the line. So I think no complaints really in terms of his performance. And I expect him to be, you know, doing very much the same if he's involved on Thursday against Paso Steve Ferreira, and then. Sunday against Watford. I don't think he's one of these players, you know, who's going to, once they're on the pitch, just sulk and not try. I don't think he's someone yeah. like that. You know you know what you're going to get with him. And I think uh, everyone there, you know, would be pleased with what they saw. So, yeah. I think, I think we need to, only a tiny little thing, but having criticised him before, I think we also have to point out, or him or whoever his social media man is or team, to be fair, they did put out a little tweet afterwards, didn't they? Brilliant battling win, something like yes, that. Yes, they did. Which I don't know whether someone has just had a word in their ear, some kind of PR thing or whatever, but it's just like little things like that. You know, we we are quite cynical. And, and as journalists, we know that there's social media teams involved and it's not often it's not the actual player. But however, for the mass, the bulk of... Spurs fans using Twitter, just seeing that probably made them think, okay, fair play, cool. You know, it's, it's good to good to have you back, Harry. And I just think it's just a simple, what was it? 
three words that essentially, you know, just get probably thousands back on side. Um, so, yeah, having criticised for not having done that after the City game, um, which really was a brilliant battling display. It actually was, even, <laughs> I'd say, even more so, uh, more impressive. Uh, yeah, we've got to give him props to that. But no, I, I was... I was quite impressed with the way the fans took to him as well. There was no no bitterness there whatsoever. Um, and let's be honest, with a striker, they really do. They have the best currency in their wallet to be able to win back any disgruntled fans. They score goals. They score goals. You just forget everything. Of course you do. Um, and, yeah, hopefully. I, I, I'd be stunned if City don't come back in with something or at least try to make Levy pick up the phone. But... I, I think he'd be mad to now. I think in, in a in a business sense or a football sense, it makes no sense. That's a lot of sense. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. You're totally right. Uh, we'll move on from Kane now because there's one other man we need to talk about in terms of a potential Tottenham transfer. That is Adama Traore, the Wolves man. He was heavily involved yesterday for Wolves down their left. He gave Jivet Tanganga a torrid time in the first half, turned him a number of times, you know, a number of players just bounced off him due to his physique. Uh, he is a player Nuno likes, having spent a few years with him at Wolves. He's someone Fabio Paratiki likes. And, you know, potentially he could be a Tottenham player come the uh, end of the transfer window. Go on, Ali. Let's hear your <laughs> thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know that I'm not currently drawing up membership cards for the Adama Traore fan club. You know, it's a bit like a horror movie where you everyone's running for their lives. They're scared of this, you know, this killer coming towards them. But then just the twist is at the end. It's not a killer. She mate Dave. He pulls the hood back. It's away, lads. <laughs> it's not after all. And that for me is Adama Traore. It's like, oh my, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what's he gonna do? He's so awful. Oh no, it's all right. Nothing happened in the end. And it's just, that for me is him in a nutshell. I just, there's no denying uh, the physical attributes, the pace, the uh, strength, and also the skill, skill on the ball. He does have a lot of ability, but he could beat eight men. And at the end of it, either put the ball into row Z or pull it across to a defender who's covering. He's just, and, and we're not talking about a 20, 21-year-old who is still learning their trade as a winger. You know, he's 25 years old. I remember watching him for Middlesbrough against Spurs and having Ben Davies had him in his pocket in that match. I can't remember if it was a cup match or a Premier League game when Burrow were in the Premier League. Um, and I just remember thinking that day, it's like everyone was bigging him up then. And now we're, what are we? God, how many years later that is? Whatever it is, four, five years, half a decade later. And for all of the buzz, for all of the what, oh, look at him, he's, he's so terrifying. There's still nothing happening at the end of it. I look back at his stats today um, for like over the uh, last few seasons. I think it was something like his first season in the Premier League with Villa, one assist. His first season in the Premier League with Borough, two assists. Then he went to, was it Wolves in the Championship perhaps? I think he had a... a yeah, I think it was, was it that after Borough? It was, wasn't it? So he had a championship season, I think, where he got 10 assists. So it's like, okay, well, that's 10, but you've got to caveat that with being the championship. 
came up with Wolves, and I think it was two assists. Then the next season, I think the next season he had a bit of a decent one. He had nine assists. I think that was the one where everyone started to actually kind of take him a bit more seriously. Then last season, three assists. It's just like, I'm sorry, but, you know, I don't want to come back to Stephen Bergwijn all the time. Otherwise, people are going to think I'm having posters on him on my wall or something. But Stephen Bergwijn was acknowledged maybe last season have had a bit of a difficult season. You know, um, confidence-wise, things like that. And wasn't second half of the season, wasn't starting a lot of Premier League games. The end of the season, I think it was with seven Premier, uh, seven assists in all competitions. Trier got three, and he played in the Premier League. I think Bergwijn had four um, and played like almost half the games that Trier played. And I get it, I get it. We're so intoxicated by wingers, we really are, and, and I'm exactly the same. We see what they do in the build-up. We see the little jink. We see, you know, I'm going on about Bergwijn and his little move down the touchline. If that had led to nothing. I'd still probably been raving about the touch, and I, and I get that. And I think we're all like that. You know, we loved even people like Jose Dominguez. Even I remember in Kudu at the end of his time, people were still saying, why are we giving him a chance? And it's like, because he's rubbish. And just that's what I feel with Traore is that he does so much good stuff, but what's the point if at the end of it there's nothing? I'd rather, you know, you've heard me moan about Lucas and the lack of end product in the past. I don't see much difference other than the incredible physique, uh, physique um, between uh, Triore and where Lucas was, say, six months ago. I just don't see it. I don't see what the upgrade is. Whereas I'd actually say Lucas, albeit he wasn't great at Molyneux, but let's talk about maybe in the City match. That for me is a far better player than Adama. Adama is it Adama or Adama? Adama, isn't it? Adama. I, I don't want to absolutely yeah. murder his name as well as Slate. <laughs> Sounds really, it's really awful. Um, but Adama Traore, you know, I, I, I just, I just cannot see the upgrade. However, I'm going to balance it out because I have to do that. Nuno loves him, absolutely adores him. Paratici tried to sign him for Juventus. Uh, I'm told for more than fifty million pounds, he tried to offer Wolves for him. They both really like him. And what I'm told the logic is, is that they believe that in a team with better attackers around him, while he may not provide them with the ball, he will, you know, he terrifies defenders. Of course he does. And I think if you've got two men doubling up on him, or sometimes even three, when you've got the other players like Kane and Son, Hill, Lucas, Bergwijn, whoever, they're going to have so much space with someone like Adama Traore in the team, bringing everyone, all the defenders across to him. And I get that. Whether I'd say, you know, whatever you're talking about, £40 million or whatever for a guy that creates space for others, that's the sole purpose. I don't know. I don't know if that's worth it myself in a team stacked with wingers. Um, But the other side of it is that apparently if he does that, then that would push Son up front and you'd see Son and Kane together as a partnership. Um, which, again, you know, we were just discussing this before we, start, uh, we, before we started talking, is that when you actually do look at it that way, there's very few strikers in world football better suited to playing up front with Harry Kane than Son Heung-min. <laughs> he actually exists in the club already. And we saw last season how incredible they were once again together. So I get that logic. But I just feel personally, I think the priorities should be elsewhere. 
I'd rather see them bring in a natural striker to, let's say, play alongside Kane. And then you've got Son, who can play in the position that Traore would come in and play, but can also go up front as well. I, I just, I just don't, I don't get it. But then sometimes players just have this thing about, uh, sorry, managers have this thing about a player, don't they? They have to take them with them. Someone they trust, someone they know inside out. And even after the game yesterday, he was raving about Traore, saying, oh, he's so unique. He brings something no one else can. Yes, yes, he can run. He can run 100 metres forward and then not do anything with the ball. That is pretty unique. Um, but <laughs> what do I know? What do I know? I'm not a, you know, pro-licence coach and all that, like all these people are. Yeah. What I like about Traore is that he's an old-fashioned winger. He's just get the ball, head down, straight down the wing. And I think it is probably exciting as home fans, you know, to watch him in action and see what he can do. But as you said, it's the end product. What's the problem? I don't think there's much of a difference between Lucas, Bergwijn and uh, Traore because all of them need to improve in the uh, final third. And it's not like a case of you're getting a player in who has so many more goals, so many more assists. He doesn't. And I think for me, I think if it's going to be £40 million or whatever, I think you better going out and buying an out-and-out striker because I'd rather see Bergwijn have a chance down the wing. He started well this season. I'd rather see Lucas play. And there's Brian Hill as well, who we've not seen in the Premier League yet. You've got to remember. What does it say to him? What does it say exactly. to him? Just exactly. Just signed and they sign another winger. Yeah. No, I mean, Triari, he, he could be a good player, but it's just that lack of end product for me. What would be the reason why? I wouldn't want him as exciting as he is to watch at times. I, I just don't see it for me. But as I'm uh, told, you know, it's yeah. Traore or a striker. That's what I'm told. And I think it's yeah. because of the money involved. There can't be a yeah. decision to be made there, surely. Go for a striker. Yeah. Well, we'll see. A week to go, we'll see what happens. Other transfers, we'll move on to that then, as everyone else will want to know. <laughs> I must say, I don't hate Adama Traore. That's probably come across, that was probably coming because of a massive rant about him, but I just can't get it. I cannot get my head around the logic behind it. And I've seen lots of people on Twitter very excited about it. You know, they're, they're very much like, oh, yeah, what a, you know, he'll terrify the defences. Yes, he terrifies him. He just unfortunately he's never terrifies the goalkeepers. That's the more the problem. <laughs> Nothing happens afterwards. One player who could be coming into the club then uh, before next Tuesday is Pape Matasa. He plays for Mets, 18-year-old midfielder, can play in a variety of positions, can play centrally, holding midfielder, attacking midfielder as well. Uh, I think Mets' chairman has already indicated that, you know, they do have a verbal agreement with uh, Daniel Levy for a transfer. So whether that comes to fruition... It's a gentleman's agreement. It might be gentleman's <laughs> agreement, whatever it is, but oh. it, it might not might not come to fruition. We'll have to wait and see, but I think he's definitely one for the future. Sounds like he's going to be loaned back to Mets. Very similar to Deli Ali's move to the club back in 2015. Just, you know, learning back, give him a bit more playing time to help develop. And then once he comes, he can... Fingers crossed, hit the ground running. Good signing for you. Do you know much about him? I only know, to be honest, I've got to be completely honest, I only know kind of what I've been told by others. I must admit, you know, I haven't seen lots of Mets play last season. I haven't. Um, 
you know, with Spurs, we, we you, well, you know, we barely get time to kind of watch much else. There's always something happening. But I'm told that by, you know, French journalists and also people that are, you know, in and around Spurs as well, that he is a proper talent, one of the most gifted young players currently in, in France. And you hit the nail on the head. It's think Deli Alley deal. That's pretty much what Spurs see this as. They see it as, you know, we've got to get in here now because someone else is going to get him and he's going to become one of the best around. Um, and that's why it's never the worst thing in the world, I don't think, to buy a player and send them back. Jack Clark might disagree with that. But in other transfers, you know, I think with Delhi it was perfect. It was only the half season with him, but it was just the key to helping, especially when they're at that age, you know, 18 years old, don't kind of rip them away from something they're very comfortable with at that age around people that they know. Let them develop and mature a little bit more. They've got a year or season essentially to prepare themselves for this big move to a big league in a very different lifestyle and culture. Um, and I think Spurs will benefit massively from him. Very versatile player by the sounds of it. You know, I think I was looking at his stats and stuff and what he did last season. You know, he played a lot of minutes for a very young player um, and then made an impact as well on top of that. So, yeah, it's it's at an advanced stage now. So it looks like that's going to happen. Um, loaned back. I, I can't see it as anything other than a good deal. I, I don't think it's going to be a huge fee. Um, I don't think it's going to be quite as low as some have made out. Um, and then I'm sure with a player with that kind of talent, there'll be stuff st- um, added on for the future, of course, with various things he achieves. But yeah, you know, it'd be very interesting to see next summer exactly where Spurs are at with their midfield options. You know, the, the indications right now is that, say, let's use him as an example. Harry Winks wants to stay at Tottenham. Uh, will that be the case next summer? Will he still be at Tottenham? I don't know. And then you may, and then rather than everyone thinking who they're going to sign in the midfield, you've got Saar ready as a 19-year-old, uh, perhaps ready to come in, and you've got Skip a bit older, so he's not the kid anymore. Um, yeah, it's on paper, seems a very shrewd signing. It seems more like a Tottenham signing. Um, you know, we, we want them to go for these big, huge names, but actually what they used to do best was sign these young players that they knew were going to be very good for the future. And it feels like Saar's going to be one of those. Yeah, I think as important as it is to, you know, strengthen for the here and now, what we've seen from Tottenham so far this summer, there's definitely one eye on the future as well. And Saar, you know, could be one of these who becomes a a mainstay in the Tottenham midfield for years to come. We've got Christian Romero, the club now, who's 23. Brian Hill, is he 20? Galini, 26. So add to the likes of Tanganga, Skip, who are young, Joe Roden, Dane Scarlett future could be very bright at Tottenham fingers crossed at the other end of the scale then whilst we're talking about an 18 year old there's a a certain (laughs) 36 year old who's been linked with a move to Tottenham and that is a Juventus's Cristiano Ronaldo he does turn 37 during the season so whether or not it'll be a good deal I'll have to uh Wait and see. Uh, his future at Juventus is up in the air at the moment. I think he was on the bench yesterday against Udinese. Came on, scored in the 2-2 draw, what he thought was a winner, but it was ruled out for offside. So Ronaldo has been linked with PSG, Man City. 
potentially he could be on the move uh, in the final few days of the window and given Fabio Paratic, he played a key role in his move uh, to Juventus from Real Madrid. It's only natural that Spurs have been linked with him. Good deal for you. Too much money. <laughs> Good deal. I love the fact that in what we episode four of the podcast, we're discussing a deal with <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. Is it a good deal? Um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't see it. I, I, I was about to say I'd love to be wrong, but I must admit I don't know whether I would. I, I just, I don't. I mean, yeah, he turns thirty-seven this season. Um, I get the obvious links and why it's happened. Paratici bringing him in. He's got good contacts, a uh, good relationship with Jorge Mendes, his agent. Who knows, Peter Santos' agent is Jorge Mendes. There's all these kind of links. I get it. Um, but a 37 year old in a team where Espirito Santo is trying to bring back the pressing and getting all the team as a collective, it'd be like dropping a Ronaldo sized grenade into the middle of all of that work. And don't get me wrong, he's still a wonderful player who would score a hell of a lot of goals, but it just kind of goes against everything that they're trying to do right now. You know, that's not to say the money men behind the scenes aren't thinking, well, Bale's gone. You know, maybe we could bring in a marketing, you know, a magnet for all the fans' money and all this sort of stuff. But I just think in football terms, while it'd be a huge star, I, I just can't see it. I just can't. You know, Q Ronaldo signing on a dotted line, but I think Juventus, by the sounds of it, are expecting him to stay. Um, can you imagine his wages on the Spurs wage bill? <laughs> it's like they could never then say to any other player, "Sorry, we can't afford you," because they've signed. I don't even know because I presume Juve would wouldn't surely wouldn't ask for a fee either. They just want him off the books. I don't know. I don't know whether it'd be a big fee or not. For almost thirty-seven year old, yeah. Then if they're obviously if he's going to go on a free, uh, then you're paying a signing on fee and that. Yeah. So it's not it's not like it is a free transfer. You are going to be paying mega money as well oh, as his wages. Yeah, exactly. I think. I mean, he's still a great player. You know, he's still going to find yeah. the net, but he's thirty-six. You need you need to be planning for the future. For me. Yeah, but, he's not the Kane strike partner, I don't think. No, as as good as it would to see him in the Tottenham oh, shirt. As reporters, it'd be incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would. But uh, yeah, I can't see that one coming to fruition, but transfer window, you never know. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But <laughs> as you said, probably Juventus where he'll be staying. Right, we'll go on to outgoings then. Uh, one person in the headlines over the past few days, Tangi on on Belle. Uh, he's made it pretty clear he wants to leave. <laughs> it's uh, such a shame, really. He came to Spurs' record fee from Leon, July 2019. He's just we've just never seen the best of him. We've seen glimpses of it, but just never over a sustained period. And I think. With Serge Aurier and Musisoko potentially going this summer, his two best mates at the club that he wants out as well. Uh, I just can't see where he's going to go, to be honest. It's just the money Spurs will want for him. I can't see anyone else paying it in the final week of the window, especially given what's happened over the globe over the past 16, 18 months. You know, clubs have limited finances. Uh so he could still well be a Tottenham player come 
you know, the start of September, do you think he will still be a Tottenham player? Uh, I, I think so. And I must admit, I still hope so. It's the Tongi cycle. It really is. It's the knuckle down, play really well, start to believe your own hype, strop, want to leave, not be allowed to leave, start again. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's so frustrating because he, I don't even think he realizes how incredibly he could be, but only if he does what other people are telling him he needs to do. It just, you just wonder sometimes how people are advised. You know, it may well be that it's just him thinking this himself. It might be that he's getting awful advice from people around him. But, you know, I've said this to you before. In this team, and this is, you know, having just absolutely extolled the virtues of Deli Alley, but in this team, Skip and Hoybier behind him, he could be incredible on Dembele. He would have less defensive duties. He could just wreak havoc. Um, you know, I've heard, what was the one transfer thing? It was something about going to Leon for AUR, um, coming the other way. Absolutely killed that pronunciation as well. You know, I, I can't imagine Andre really wants to go back to Leon. I, I seriously think he's someone who thinks that he should be playing at Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and, and, and Barcelona's of this world. But what I don't know if he doesn't understand, but at all of those clubs, you've got to give everything as well, every single day in training and in matches as well. And yeah, just the thought that he's now, we're just at this stage again. It's it's really disappointing because. I think a lot. He's got a lot of fans that really have his back, um, and journalists as well, um, <laughs> who really think there's just one of the most gifted players probably playing in football right now there. But it doesn't mean a thing if you haven't got the rest of it. You know, it's like always reminds me of Adel Tarat. He was one of the most gifted players and seen at Tottenham as well, but just the rest of the game wasn't there. There wasn't the desire. There wasn't the there's almost this I know best mentality. I think sometimes very gifted players have. I just, you know, he's just become a dad. I just hope there's a real wake up moment that comes in the next, you know, it, it may be that it's the window closing and he just thinks, right. It may be that, you know, if Sissoko and Aurier do go, then perhaps he just has to mix. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't, because I'm not making out Sissoko and Aurier bad influences. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. Not true at all. But just sometimes having a different, um, like a fresh start almost, just different perspective on things, sometimes that helps you as well. It's so frustrating, honestly. I think we said this last week. It frustrates me so much more than the Harry Kane stuff. It really does. Because <sighs> Tongi, stop, wake up, man. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not much more I can say other than the fact that Spurs bought him for almost £60 million. Whereas in a pandemic world, can anyone afford that other than the big, big clubs who, quite frankly, they'd probably look at what he's doing right now and what he's done and think, well, why are we going to take a risk on him? Because he might just have a strop here as well and and not think and not want to do what we're telling him to do or whatever. Um, and also, I've seen some people saying, yeah, but throw him in for a swap for this and that and him or whoever. But the trouble with that is you're still valuing him. Just because it's a swap doesn't mean that he suddenly becomes worth £10. He's still worth the £60 million in that swap. So the other club will go, well, we don't value him at £60 million. It's, it's, I don't know. I think maybe we sometimes see things as like the computer game way of playing it or a, 
or how we'd swap with something with our mates with like trump cards or something. God, that's that's one for the kids, isn't it? Um, but yeah, you know, I just don't think it works like that in real life. Yeah, I know he he might want to move to Barca, Real, Bayern, but I don't think Serge and Musa will be going with him as much as he probably wants them to uh, to go with. You just I watch as Musa signs for Real. <laughs> yeah, I can't see that happening. I know he's really really good friends with them, and they have played you know a key part in helping him settle yeah. in London oh, in his first two years massively. But he's he's really pally as well with Son. Yeah. I remember when they were doing... I think Harry Kane as well. Yeah. He seems to be having a good laugh with, I think it was Ben Davis, uh, Joe Rudd and Gareth Bale, the Welsh Mafia, oh, when they were there. part of the group, then, yeah. definitely, than he was. Yeah. But, I mean, there's going to be a point where Serge and Musa do move on. So, I mean, he's going to have mates wherever he goes at a football club. He's going to have new mates and it's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? Players coming and going. Yeah, it's I just stress, such... We're not saying, before anyone says it, we're not saying he wants to leave because his mates are going. I wrote that, someone took that from one of my articles and, and used it on an aggregator Twitter account thing, and it's like, that, that's never been the case. I'm just saying that's part of the overall situation he's in right now. Definitely, no. If he wants to move, it's because of football reasons. Yeah, I think it'd just be... Such a shame, to be honest. If he did, if he does go, because he is such an in, incredibly talented player there, and hopefully yeah. he can, you know, fulfil his potential. I think he's going to come to a point where things just hopefully just click for him, and hopefully that is at Tottenham. Yeah, it's just like I think sometimes there's this belief that players might get back on their career and regret not moving to big clubs. I'd say the biggest regret would be not fulfilling your potential at the ones you were at. I really think it is. There's too many players just ready to move on before they're actually ready to move on. You know, yes, you know, Harry Kane is, is probably a different example. You know, Harry Kane could play for Manchester, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. He could fit in anywhere and score goals. I still think Tongi would get eaten alive at some of those clubs. He could be an absolute star at Tottenham if he wants to. But I think at clubs like that, it doesn't, you know, I can only keep stressing it. You, you don't succeed in the biggest clubs by just having the talent. You look at Ronaldo's, you look at Messi, you even look at Kane. These guys are incredible in what they do off the pitch to prepare constantly and their attitude, the mental side of the game. I don't know. I think just sometimes other players just look at it and think, oh, I deserve that. It's like, no, there's so much more to it. What you were born with is incredible. But that's just the start of it all. You know, he's done yeah. well enough to get to here, you know. I'm not, I'm not making out he's just some, like, Sunday league footballer that, you know, loves uh, jinking around all the players on the pitch on, on Hackney Marshes or something. You know, he's clearly got enough about him to get to where he is, but there's so much more to do. Yeah, I think the saying, is it hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard? I think that yeah, certainly yeah. applies. Yeah. Motivational so. words there, everyone, from Robert Guest. <laughs> I'm going to put that, <laughs> that little frame on my wall with your name. Nice, uh, it's a good saying. And it's true it as well. It's true. It right. We'll, we'll move on from Tangi now. Sally will probably get a bit upset if we carry on talking about him. Uh, transfers out or not. Yeah, I think we've touched on it already in terms of the centre-backs. Obviously, Paratiki probably like to bring in another centre-back, another right-back. 
But your problem is there's so many centre-backs and right-backs at the moment and you need to move them on if, you know, new players are to come in through the door. So it's going to be a, a tricky final week, let's say. Yeah, massively. You know, and the trouble is we said this about Spurs too much. And I'd actually say Spurs have, you know, they've moved some players out the door. They've actually kind of probably done better than they normally have. You know, you've had Alderweireld's gone out, whether some people didn't want him to or not. But obviously... I still think maybe at the age he was, I think it probably was time. You know, so Eric Lamella's gone out the door. You've seen Joe Hart's gone out the door as well. I feel there's young players. There's someone else I'm forgetting, a senior player as well. I feel there's maybe someone else as well. But they've got various players out the door. However, you know, and as I've said before, they want to bring in another centre-back and they want to bring in another right-back. But they've now got themselves in this situation where they've got, Four natural centre-backs, you know, uh, Romero, Sanchez, Dyer, and Roden. But then you've also got Tanganga and Davies can play there. So technically, you've got six players that can play at centre-back, four natural ones. So where does a new centre-back fit unless you move one of those out? And then at right-back, and I don't think any of us expected this would be the case, there's three right-backs. <laughs> so where does another right-back come in? And... I've get you know people. I I wrote this earlier in my talking points. I've had people on Twitter going, "Oh, this is classic Spurs. Just get the deals done." And it's like what? So what you're saying is they should have seven centre backs and four right backs. It's like it doesn't work like that. You've got to move players out, um, and and to do so, you need clubs to buy them. Um, it's it is incredibly frustrating, and I've always said this. I think the wages that Tottenham have players on make it difficult. Spurs have always been criticised for the financial side of things, but actually they play their, pay their players pretty well, not only in the basic salary, but also they've got the best bonuses in the league, some people say. Um, and, you know, so, so let's use Musa Sissoko as an example. It's like how many clubs can match the wages he'll be on? Don't forget, he was on a very decent wage when he joined and then he signed a new deal, didn't he? Only, was it, a couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, he will be one of the biggest earners at Tottenham. So for all this talk about, you know, all these Italian clubs or whatever, who are all in real pandemic difficulties, you know, unless Tottenham kind of pay a portion of the wages, which I think you can only do on a loan anyway. Um, yeah, it's a nightmare. It is because Serge Aurier, you know, expected to have gone. And whatever he and his agent have been kind of doing behind the scenes, it hasn't worked yet, so they really need to hurry up. Um, there's, you know, there's been a suggestion that they've had something lined up, but just, you know, whatever it is has not come through to Tottenham yet, whether it's a ploy to suddenly at the last minute go, they want to buy him, but for $1 million. You don't take it now, gutted. Is that... I don't know what the ploy is there. If there is a ploy, or whether there just genuinely isn't any interest, but it's absolutely stuffing Tottenham. It is, um, and you know, you look at someone like Sanchez, who's playing very well and probably is the one player that maybe you can get value for. Would you let Sanchez go out? It's a very difficult choice. It suddenly becomes, and I mean, is there's another choice? Do you keep? Sanchez and Dyer because there is an interest in them with Romero, but still bring another centre-back, but then maybe loan out Joe Roden to someone like, let's say, a Brighton or a Southampton. I don't know exactly who needs centre-backs right now, but 
it's tough. It's a tough situation, which I don't think people quite grasping exactly what's happened. I think as well, if you're going to get rid of a centre-back, say, I don't think you can get rid of Sanchez now because I think you need Premier League experience at the back and they have that in Sanchez and Dyer. But we they use don't that have term, in... don't we? Getting rid, and I use it as well. But it, that's not how it works. You can't just get rid. You can't literally say, free transfer, get out. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Someone has to buy them. Yeah, you've got obviously Joe Roden, who had a handful of games in the Premier League last year. Did you know? Did play well towards the end when he had that run under Jose. You've got Christian Romero, who's got a few minutes under his belt so far. It might take him a few months, potentially more, to kick on. And then if you're going to bring in another new centre back, who let's say if there were a foreign player, that's another one we've no Premier League experience who would also need time to settle in. So. Uh, for me, I think as well as Sanchez and Dyer have played at the moment, I'd, I'd be keeping them, definitely. Oh, I can hear Spurs fans everywhere going, oh, Robert Guest, we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I think they'll still be at the club, to be honest. I think if Sanchez were going to go, they'd probably gone by now. But I think he's come back full of confidence from the Copper America. And, you know, having Christian Romero at the club's probably spurred him on. And the change in management for players does does work. Some players yeah. just kick on on the new manager and he's putting the performances past two games. Can't fault him. I know we've topped an hour now, so we'll just move on to the uh, Euro for Conference League. Sorry, that was uh, my Traore. ran probably <laughs> about half of it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Passos the Ferreira in the second leg at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Thursday evening. You were out in Portugal, Ali. It wasn't a game you particularly enjoyed, was it? No. Beautiful city, Porto. <laughs> and then uh, Pesos de Ferreira is a nice little town as well. Um, I think I don't know if technically it's a city or a town. But, yeah, lovely people, lovely area, utterly rubbish match. It was one of the worst matches probably since the Zagreb game. It really, really was a shocker. Um, it was exactly what it was really it was a team um, it was a, a team made up of players that were rusty haven't played together before you know three new signings two youngsters making their first ever start it was a thrown together team i said that to Nuno after the game i said it was did the really disjointed nature of it come from the fact that the team was so disjointed it was a team that just had no real kind of understanding of each other you know to be fair he said yes he said, um, yes, that was very much was a byproduct of that. I interviewed Ryan Sessegnon after the match, and he actually said no. He said there shouldn't be an excuse. He said we all play together in training. He said we, that, that should not, we, we can't use that as an excuse, which I actually thought was quite cool because Nuno was probably trying to help the play, you know, give them an, an, an excuse, give them a bit of backing, whereas Sessegnon was not having it. Uh, and I actually say second half especially, he was probably one of the brighter players in that second half. But um, uh, strange game. You know, Brian Hill, superb in the first 15 minutes, then just started to wander around like a lost man looking for, or someone looking for their dog that had run off the lead. And he was just starting to get so many players annoyed around him because he wasn't then covering or pressing in the areas that he needed to be. Um, and Nuno said that afterwards. He said he just needs, they need to give him a defined position and defined tasks. And he said, that's my fault as the manager, the head coach. I need to give him those. So, yeah, you'd imagine he'll start in this second leg. Um, and I think the fans will love him. As we said earlier, fans love a winger. 
Um, and I think he'll he'll look a different player probably in the home league. And, and I think, to be honest, I think the match will be a totally different game. What are we expecting them in terms of the team? Full strength? It'll be a bit of a, a mixture from the Wolves game and the Passos, the Ferreira one put together. I think the fact that they've got a home game uh, coming afterwards and no disrespect to Watford at all, but it's it's a promoted team. You know, it's, it's a team that you shouldn't have to feel that you put out your strongest possible one um, for the next one. So it may mean that he slightly mixes and matches with these two games. Um, I personally wouldn't go full strength against Pesos. I don't think as 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 amazing as it was for them to score that goal and and win the match that pretty much was their only chance of note that I can really remember i think it was more about spurs just being utterly awful and getting the ball anywhere near their goal um so yeah it, it it's funnily enough it is the kind of game to start kane in i think i think it is to get him the minutes in his legs and let's be honest probably grab a couple of goals um, and then you look at him and decide whether he's ready to start again at the weekend. Um, and obviously much will depend on whether Sonny does have a little bit of an injury or not. Um, but yeah, I'd hope that you'd see probably at least three to four stronger, uh, not stronger, but, you know, regular first-teamers in that team. Yeah, I'd, I'd start Kane. I think he needs the minutes. It's a good chance for him to get a few goals under his belt as well, potentially. Obviously, what we'll probably expect from Passos is they'll sit back, try defend that one goal lead and try then hit Spurs on the counter. And the hope is Spurs will be able to get an early goal. And then I think there'll be a case of once they get one goal, they'll get another and another. But I don't think he, he might not be as straightforward as some people expecting. Passos just won't roll over. They'll be looking to qualify for Europe. So Spurs are going to have to work hard for it. They're technically but, very good, they were. Yeah, on the on the yeah. ball they were very good. Yeah, but it's a game Spurs should get the job done. Fingers crossed. And then on Friday it's the big Europa Conference League draw. What everyone will be able to look forward to, providing of well, course yeah, that Tottenham do go. This is the chat that looks like Claudio Ranieri doing it. Yeah, I, I assume so. I mean, he, he really seems to do. If it's not, I love, he does love a bit every of way for draw. I can't remember what he's called, but yeah, I know we'll who you mean. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> on that note, I think we'll leave that there for episode four of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. So thank you as ever for listening, subscribing. We've had some really good reviews so far. So I think we both really do appreciate that. Uh, as ever, yeah. just keep as ever, just keep with us at football.london over the next few days. Obviously, we'll be looking forward to the Passos de Ferreira game and then the Watford game. So, as always, thank you for joining us and just keep with us at football.london.